And I'm really excited that all of us are here today because we are standing, uh, starting this brand new series uh, called Identity that is really all about how the resurrection of Jesus really actually changed everything for the human race. Now, all of us have defining moments in our life, right? We, uh, like for instance, I'll, I'll never forget my wedding day. I'll never forget that sunny beach in Maui. That was a good day. That was a good day. I'll never forget the birth of my kids. Uh, I, I, um, and, and I'll never forget our first clarity gathering. Some of you were there a little over five and a half years ago. Some of you remember that. <clears throat> and uh, I'll never forget the, uh, the day I got an email from Chipotle saying that I got free chips and guac. And so there, there are like really great moments in our lives that just happen and you can't forget about it. I'm actually really excited to pass on the way in. I noticed that they put a Chipotle just right down the road. So if you want to have lunch with me after, you know, our gatherings, you're probably going to be going to Chipotle. I'm just going to warn you once it opens. <clears throat> now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, today is a really, really special day because it is the day that does represent a defining moment in human history. The foundation of our faith is simply not the teachings of Jesus or the miracles of Jesus. It's not even a set of religious beliefs or philosophy, but the foundation of our faith, those of us who call ourselves follower of Jesus, actually stems from an event that happened in human history. Now, I'm not sure what your thoughts are about Easter. Maybe it doesn't mean a whole lot to you. Maybe you showed up and it's just a family ritual that you kind of partake in, and so you got to kind of come to a gathering with your family. Or maybe you were told you weren't allowed to eat ham unless you came <laughs> to Easter gathering with the family, and that's a really good reason to come to a gathering, by the way. Ham, <laughs> nothing like Easter. Obviously, I've had too much myself. Uh, by the way, uh, I hope you like my shirt. I'm also known as Pastor Maui, so you're welcome. Anyways. <clears throat> Hey, maybe some of you were looking for uh, free coffee and, and donuts and maybe a chance to be kid-free for an hour. And listen, that's really cool. We provide those things for every single person who comes uh, to our gatherings on the weekend. But listen, regardless why you are here or where you are coming from, uh, we are so glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And uh, if you are someone who is new with us, here's what I want you to know. We started Clarity to be a community of faith with whom it's okay to not have everything, have everything figured out. Um, what you believe necessarily about Jesus and the Bible. We want to let you know that's actually okay. And what we want to do is we want to be a community of faith centered on the gospel with whom you can honestly explore faith in Christ and find yourselves connecting, or maybe for some of you, based on your story, reconnecting. Reconnecting to a God who... Whether you know this or not, he loves you and desires to be loved by you in return. And so my goal today as we kind of start this new series called Identity is to help us recapture the wonder of what is Easter and what it means for our lives today and the impact it can have in our lives every single day of the year. And to do that... I think we need to answer this question as we start this series called Identity. And this is the question. First question is this. Who am I? Who am I? Or maybe to get you to answer it, to think about it, who are you? Who are you? Who am I? 
You know, I'm guessing that uh, most of us have been to amusement parks at one time or another, maybe been to the state fair. And, you know, as, as a kid, in these carnival houses, or fun houses as they uh, sometimes call them, I, I remember there were these hilarious distortion mirrors. Anyone know what I'm talking about? These distortion mirrors. And, and I'm talking about the mirrors that you can stand in front of and have your legs look like they're 12 feet long. Right? I think we got a picture, right? Right? Like, yeah. Remember, anyone remember these? Do they have these? Are these entertaining anymore? I don't know. I, 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 I like them um, just because they make me look a little skinnier. <laughs> Uh, but then there's also the mirrors that um, you stand in front of and it looks like you're two feet tall by six feet wide and you look like Jabba the Hutt or as my kids say, dad. Um, so, yeah, see, don't laugh too loud. Son, don't laugh too loud. That's starting to hurt my feelings. Uh, in reality, here's the thing. In reality, isn't it true that it's really easy for us to stand in front of real mirrors and maybe not in the physical realm, but in our mental realm, we see a distorted view of ourselves. Whether it's a deflated image or an inflated image of who we are. And the reason it is easy for us to picture ourselves in a distorted way isn't, become, isn't, isn't because there's something wrong with the way we're looking, with, with the mirrors that we're looking into. But it's because something happened to us. Something was maybe said to us. Something was said to you. Something was done to us. Maybe you experienced something. Or maybe, maybe we participated in something that affects how we view ourselves. And here's what we know about the mind. The mind is a powerful, powerful tool, isn't it? Several years ago, two professors at Dartmouth uh, created an experiment, and some of you might have heard this, uh, to better understand the power of self-conscious and how your self-conscious has uh, really this power to view and form not only your emotions, but how you think of reality. And uh, this is kind of how the story went. It, uh, an excerpt from the New York Times, uh, uh, it said this, the professor recruited several women for the experiment, and they used theatrical makeup to produce a very noticeable and nasty-looking scar on their face. After the scar was created, they showed each individual woman what they looked like by giving her a mirror. And then they took the mirror away and explained that a makeup artist needed to apply moisturizer to the scar to keep it from cracking. What the women didn't know was that the makeup artist wasn't really applying moisturizer. They were removing the scars. The women were told not to touch their face because it would smear the makeup. Immediately after the scar was removed, each one of the women were sent into a room for one-on-one conversations with people they didn't know. And after the conversations were over, the women were interviewed about their experiences. They all pretty much said the same thing. They said they were really uncomfortable throughout the interview. They talked about how the person interviewing them focused on the scar and avoided eye contact with them. They said they were treated differently. Some of them actually felt like the other person was mean to them. Of course, the scar wasn't even there. But because these people thought it was there, they misread other people's reactions and made up theories of why they were being treated a certain way. Now, 
What does this experience tell us about what most of us already know? Though we may not be quick to admit it. I think it tells us that our mind has a powerful influence in whether or not we are secure or we are insecure in who we are. And then there's technology, right? With all of its advances and its advantages, slowly turning us into a a culture of comparison. Never before have so many people had so much, yet they wanted so much more. Some sociologists are actually even saying that social media is one of the biggest driving causes of discontentment because when we look at other people's lives, it looks what? Perfect. We compare their filtered life with our unfiltered life and we become discontent, jealous, envious, and most of all, we become insecure. Somehow, the life we have, who we are, is not enough. Maybe you're at home all by yourself and you see your friend on a date and she's eating lobster and you're at home eating Hot Pockets. Or maybe you see a a friend post a picture of brownies, but you're not looking at her brownies. You're looking at her kitchen. You're looking at her countertops and her her little cabinet pull knobs on every single cabinet of those white, nice farmhouse-looking cabinets. And like Magnolia would, you know, they'd be proud of it. And, 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 And you're just looking and you're like, oh, I wish I had that. Maybe you see someone's post and it's like, happy anniversary, to the man of my dreams. Can't wait to spend the next 50 years with him. Ooh, you're my soulmate. Lovey dovey, smoochy poochie. <laughs> That's what I do when I see it. I'm like, Ugh. but maybe for you, maybe for you, you're like, oh, man, I wish my marriage looked a little more smoochy poochy, right? That's, some of you, that's the only thing you're going to remember from today's message. Remember that thing he did, the smoochie poochie? That was hilarious! <gasps> Let's go eat some ham. And listen, here's the dirty little secret about the comparison trap. Comparison, and you know this, comparison is the, is, is the thief of joy, isn't it? And never before in the history of the world could we accurately measure popularity. Never. I mean... We know how liked we are by the number of what? Likes. When I was a kid, you kind of had to randomly assume that you weren't popular. <laughs> and now we can actually confirm it. How many likes did you get? I only got 20. <laughs> got to delete this. Actually, when I was working with teenagers, I, I heard that some of them don't even, if they, if they put a post up and it doesn't like go above a certain number, they actually take it down. Like this is what we've come to. Like, you can't just like share like, hey, Something happened in my life, and whoever cares to see it, like, great. But it's more of a memory for me and less about gaining popularity. Consequently, to some extent, every single one of us struggles with some degree of insecurity. We do. I don't care how awesome you think you are. We all do. And so here's the big question. Why do we struggle with insecurity? I think we struggle with insecurity because we're constantly measuring ourselves against the wrong standards. We are insecure because we're constantly measuring ourselves against the wrong 
standard. And guess what? Your life doesn't have to look like someone else's highlight reel. It doesn't. And you'll never find significance, meaning, or identity by imitating someone else. And listen, it's okay. You don't have to be like everybody. And why? Because whether you know this or not, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, listen, your identity has already been determined. Ephesians, which is the book we'll kind of be spending most of our time throughout the next several weeks, it starts like this, a letter written by Paul to a church in Ephesus, a little city there. And he says this, even before he made the world, God loved us. Some of you don't realize that. You're basing God's love for you on the existence of what happens today, what you will do tomorrow, and what you have done in the past. And you don't realize that God's love superseded all that stuff. And maybe today that's the only thing you need to hear. That even before the world began, he loved you. He loved you. And, because some of you have daddy issues, he chose you. Some of you don't feel very chosen. I won't let you know you are. He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Man, how can you be insecure if this is true about who you are? God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. I have a good friend of mine who tells his kids they're adopted. And uh, you know, he looks at them and he says, yeah, you know, you're adopted. But I want you to let you know that means your mom and I love you more because we chose you. We're not like Phil and Leona. They got stuck with some kids who always, oh, I'm teasing, son. <laughs> Just a joke. Gotcha. <laughs> Calling me fat. All right. I got a mic. You don't. All right. He chose us to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and he gave him great pleasure. You give God great pleasure. And so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. This is why we got so excited during worship, if you're wondering. And he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. I could close it all and just say amen right there, but I want to keep on talking because I like to. Listen, before the world began, God knew you and he loved you and he chose you to be a part of his family. I don't know what message you tend to hear about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, but if all you hear is this, this is all you need to hear. Before the world began, God knew you. He loved you. And he chose you to be part of his family. This means that before you ever did anything good or bad, God decided to extend to you and me the invitation to find our identity in him rather than achievements or accomplishments or possessions or popularity. And the reason that invitation is such a big deal is because if we can discover God's intention for our true identity, it will create confidence 
and security in us. And if you don't understand who you are and why you were created, then you will spend a significant portion of your life seeking out love, acceptance, approval, and purpose for your life. And for most of us, the biggest regrets in our life stem from decisions we made that were rooted in our insecurities. And consequently, our insecurities lead us to look for love, acceptance, and approval in the wrong places. Or as the famous theologian said, looking for love and all the right... Oh, jeez. Some of y'all don't know that? No? no? Okay, whatever. I'll keep on going. So, uh, keep on going. The Apostle Paul reminds followers of Jesus in Rome what a dead path it was to look for love in the wrong places, to look for acceptance in the wrong places. And he says this in Romans 6, 20 and 21. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. I know some of your stories. Some of your stories for whom you, before you came to Christ, looked like this. You were free <laughs> to not do anything right, and you did. And you know what is the funny thing, too? Before we just kind of notice that in the people who are like, oh, before Jesus, some of you know me. And I get to be the pastor of a church. And you know what mistakes I make. I know some of you. I know some of the things that you have done when you decide that you're free to not do what's right. And you and I both together, we talk about how broken we are and how in need we are of maybe some good news Maybe in need of someone who could save us. If you don't know who you are, you will continually face frustration, discouragement, and defeat because you'll be living in a way that actually doesn't match the identity that God desires for you. The identity that God intended you to live with. Instead, you're, you're living your life your way with a false sense of identity, an identity given to you by the world around you and maybe even more dangerous, an identity you knowingly give to yourself as a slave to sin. And here's the thing. When you live like this, you'll find yourself doing things God never created you to do. If I attached a book to the end of a pole, it's possible in theory that I could use it as a broom, but it would be incredibly frustrating. And for those of you who are book people that open your book like this, that would be like next to the impardonable sin, <laughs> the idea of using a book as a broom. You could use scissors for a toothbrush, but Dr. Krista would tell you it would be frustrating and it would probably be dangerous. <laughs> You could run out of toilet paper and you could use duct tape, but I'll just leave it there. The point is this. It's very frustrating 
And it's sometimes even dangerous to use something in a way it was never created for or intended to be used. When you choose to live your life in a way that doesn't match who God created you to be, your life is incredibly frustrating. And you find yourself being led down a path that's unavoidable and oftentimes can be dangerous. Here are just a few observations that are maybe not new to you, but I think they're good reminders as we consider how where we get our identity from impacts our lives. This is just a couple observations. One, our identity leads to tendencies. You know this. If my identity, identity is found in what people think of me, my tendency will be to lie, exaggerate, or withhold information in order to create or maintain a certain image. If my identity is found in my accomplishments, my tendency will be to use people in order to manipulate circumstances to get ahead in life. And if I'm not getting ahead in life, my tendency will be to do what? Blame my circumstances or definitely what? Blame others, right? We do that. It's the reason why oftentimes when someone becomes a parent for the first time, not all the time, but most of the time, they take on a new identity, the good ones anyways. They take on a new identity that they are a mom and a dad. And in turn, they tend to do what? They tend to grow up a little. They tend to mature and become more responsible. And the ones that don't are the ones that are saying, I lost my life ever since I became a mom. I lost my life ever since I became a dad. I just, uh, you know, I want to go back to the, and the, the, you know, but you are a mom. But you are a dad. That's who you are. They have a new identity. And so if our identity leads to tendencies, then our tendencies leads to what? Actions. I will live who I believe I am. You will live who you believe you are. If my tendency is worry about my image, then when that facade starts to fade or maybe someone disrespects me, I will figure out a way to guard myself or hide the truth or find a way to hurt those who hurt me. And if our identity leads to tendencies and tendencies lead to actions, then those actions lead to what? Consequences. All of our actions have consequences. For good or for bad, they have consequences. If my identity is found in stuff, my tendency will be to look for more stuff and pursue anything that gets me more stuff. And so what I will do is I will start to arrange my life around stuff, possibly spending money I don't have on more stuff. And the consequences of which looks more like being in debt more than being rich. And so far, identities lead to tendencies, they lead to actions, they lead to consequences, then those lead to what? Leads to reality. Leads to reality. Think about this. When the reality of your life isn't what you want it to be, we have a tendency, and I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, we blame everyone and everything. I, I'm the biggest blamer. I love to blame everyone and everything. So what do we do? We get upset. Life isn't the way it is. 
Things aren't going our way. Blame the government. Blame the school system. Blame the economy. Blame our bosses. Blame our significant others. Blame our kids. Blame the families. Blame our income. But I mean, we, we blame. This is what we do. We blame. But the truth is that our reality is often a result of consequences we've experienced. And that are the results of our actions. That are the results of our tendencies, which are all wrapped up in what? Our identity. Who we believe we are. And that's why my hope and prayer throughout this series is for, for God to open up our eyes to our true identity. To who we are truly created to be. So, the question is, what does the scriptures, I mean, that's a lot of good, you know, I, I get the, um, okay, that's pretty good, you know, uh, actions, blah, 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 okay, I got you with there, there but wh- where's, uh, how, what does the Bible say? What does the scripture have to say? I'm glad you asked. In this same letter that we'll be spending the next several weeks in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. See, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can what? Boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long, long ago. So what does this say about who we are in Christ? Listen, we are each a masterpiece of God. We are a masterpiece of God. This means that you are not, catch me, listen, you are not your masterpiece. You're not, no matter how impressive you are, how much education you got, how many pedals you've got over there and your tone is just singing through that Les Paul, Jared. You are not your masterpiece. That was a pretty good plan. I liked it. You are not your masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Your life is God's project. God thought you up. He knows you. And he knows the you that he intended you to be. So, consequently, your spiritual life is not limited to certain devotional activities that you kind of engage in. But your spiritual life, listen to me, if you're a follower of Jesus, listen. Your spiritual life is receiving power from God by his spirit to be the person he had in mind when he created you, to discover your true identity in Jesus and then live it out. That is what your spiritual life should be about. Now, that doesn't mean you stop being you. It just means that you be the youiest <laughs> you that you can be. An acorn can grow into an oak tree, but it never will be a rose bush. And this is really incredibly good news. 
because it means that the worst days of my life do not have to be the defining days of my life. Or maybe I should say it again. The worst days of my life don't have to be the defining days. The worst days of your life do not have to be the defining days of your life. That's good news. When God looks at our life, he doesn't see us as we are. He sees us as who we will become. Because he sees the final product. He sees The masterpiece. And it's so easy to think of a masterpiece as a priceless work of art. But the truth is that those who are able to create masterpieces are able to see something in the raw material that the rest of us are unable to imagine. Michelangelo looked at a block of marble and he saw the statue of David. Leonardo looked at a blank canvas and he painted what? The Last Supper. And then there was Donatello who saw Bo Staff and he learned to become a ninja. You like that? That was good. That was really good. I was up on Photoshop trying to get that just right. Yeah, that was good. But listen, ultimately a masterpiece isn't given credit for what the master created. The masterpiece exists to point people to the master. So this means God's grace is bigger than the worst moments and days and seasons of our life. And when his grace takes what we think is a mess, he makes it into something beautiful. God never causes bad things to teach us some kind of lesson. But when we experience difficult seasons, because we will, and when we experience the worst days of our life because some of it is to come, here's the good news. God's grace can and will shine through. God's grace can and will shine through. Last point is this. Embracing my identity in Jesus means changing my perspective. Changing my perspective. Romans 6, 1 through 4 says this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we were joined with him in death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. If you've never been baptized and you love Jesus, this is my little plug. You should be baptized, and I'd be more than willing to dunk you. So just let me know. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live slightly adjusted lives. Just a little better. Improved. Better than we were before. No. What? New. New. I can't be any more animated about it. We get to live new lives. New lives. 
Embracing my identity in Jesus means changing my perspective. Do you know that you've been given new life? I didn't say second chance. I didn't even say another opportunity to prove that you're better. I said you've been given a new life. What would you do if you believed that God has actually given you new life? Paul says you have a new identity. You're no longer a sinner. You're an image bearer of God, a saint of God, God's masterpiece to display the good news of his love with your life. And if you really understand grace, and if you really understand the gospel, and if you really understand the depths of God's love for you, and you still really want to go and sin, then go for it. If that's part of what you want, what you really, really, really want, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I really, 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 really want to, if you want to be my, anyways. It doesn't make sense for you to want to sin if you really want God to be part of your life, if you really want new life. This is, the, this is what Paul was trying to say. Listen, about a month ago, all the major news, news stations ran an article about a man named Nathan Meyer and his uncle Clifford Williams. Some of you may have seen this. Both Nathan and his uncle Clifford were convicted of murder in 1976. And after 43 years on death row, one of them had a life sentence, one was on death row, it was discovered They were innocent. And they were released from prison. Now, imagine if Nathan and Clifford receiving this brand brand new identity as free men, saying, you know what? I mean, we've been living in prison for 43 years. We've been prisoners for 43 years. You know what? I kind of got used to it. I think I just want to live there. I mean, after all, all my friends are in prison. You know what? I think I'll just stay a prisoner. Now, you laugh, but how many of us live like that? You're new, but you know, I'm still going to do the things that I want to do, the things that I think are best for me. You know, Pastor Phil, you don't know. I've been struggling with this for so long, and I'm not downplaying the struggles. I'm just saying some of you, just need to let go. And you need to realize that's not who you are. You're, you're, you're no longer a slave to sin. You are now a child of God. And some of you need to understand that. That's why Paul writes in his letter later to Ephesians, he said, since you've heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And listen, as I close, this is it. In other words, Paul is saying this, if you used to lie, we'll start telling the truth. If you used to steal, we'll start working honestly. If you used to use foul and abusive language, well then start encouraging others. You have a new identity in Jesus. All of this stuff, Easter Sunday, for us who follow, love and follow Jesus, this is about celebrating not just what Jesus did on the cross by being raised from the dead, but what he accomplished through wretched people like us. If he can make me new, he can make you new. That's good news. That's good news. And so your behavior does not determine your identity. Your identity should determine your behavior. And so my prayer for each of us as we go through this series is that all of us would begin to recognize who God has created us to be and then (laughs) embrace our identity. 
as members of God's family. Because before you were ever born, God knew you. He loved you. And he chose you to be a part of his family. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you more. And nothing you have done that will cause him to love you less. This is the gospel for you if you believe. This can be your identity.